Hello, this is the 23rd episode in the Creative Flow podcast series, hosted by Anthony Bellani and Kimmery McKernan. It features discussions with thinkers and change agents important to the science of creativity. We are delighted to welcome Amanda Loheiser, PhD. Amanda has over 14 years experience in higher education, teaching undergraduate and graduate students in the United States, Singapore, and Denmark. Her educational background includes a BA and PhD in communication studies, an MS in public relations, an MS in creativity and change leadership, and facial action coding system certifications. Her PhD focus was on socio-emotional intelligence and how understanding your own emotions and the emotions of others can help you be a better communicator. Well, that's quite a mouthful. Um, and we are glad to have you. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hi, Amanda. Let's get into it. Can you please share the story of how you became involved in deliberate creativity? Well, I think that deliberate creativity to me is, is marked by the beginning of my journey with the Center for Applied Imagination, uh, formerly known as the International Center for Studies and Creativity. And my story has something of a surprising beginning because I got started in the program because I couldn't find a parking space. Let me let me explain. So uh, what happened was I was working on my first master's degree in public relations management, and I had gone through my first semester, and I found it really challenging to get parking, and I was still kind of you know learning a new campus, and the world just was very big at the time. And somebody had said to me, oh, well, you know, there's plenty of parking here on the weekends. And I thought that they were just saying it as kind of, a, of an offhand comment. I was like, oh, ha ha, like that's really gonna help me. You know, what, what school has classes during the weekend? And they said, oh, they've, they've got classes here during the weekend. You should look it up for next semester. So look it up, I did. And I saw that there were weekend classes in the International Center for Studies and Creativity. And I thought, wow, that sounds cool. I have no idea what to expect, but creativity has always been important to me. And, you know, I, I've, I've thought of myself as a creative person and enjoying creative things. So I'll check these classes out. And I signed up for them and um, I did a weekend course that Matt and I, I said that it reminded me of like a summer camp kind of environment because you go in in the morning and you spend all day with these people learning and doing amazing things. And then you go home exhausted, go to bed, get up in the morning, do it all over again. And what a great way to spend a weekend. And in addition to the great people, um, I was just ecstatic with what I was learning. Um, learning about creativity as a science and learning about deliberate ways that you can apply it to your own life, not just in a professional sense, but in the sense of how you live your life and self-leadership and understanding empathy and emotional intelligence. Um, and so it was a, a great beginning to what has turned into a fantastic journey. Uh, many years later, I went back to the center to finish. Uh, I had taken those, those couple of courses toward my first master's in PR. And I went on to get my doctorate, taught overseas, came back home. And I went back to finish up the graduate certification. And about one week into the first class, I had the same feeling again. I was like, I'm not done. So I took some more courses and uh, earned a second master's degree. And it's been, it's been life-changing. It's just truly a, a, a remarkable program. We just had uh, Beth Slazak on 
and uh, she had an almost similar story of how she uh, almost accidentally found uh, the program and then within minutes knew she was in the right place. So it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting. And, you know, I kind of found this place by accident as well uh, many, many years ago. And uh, I think uh, a few of us uh, along the way have uh, gone through that. So. Tell us um, how you use creative problem solving in your teaching and in your life. Yeah, you know, I, um, I'm an assistant professor of communication studies at SUNY Fredonia, and I infuse my lessons with creativity and teaching creatively in every way I possibly can. Um, sometimes I teach it deliberately, like in some of my courses, like business communication, we will actually take a unit on creative problem solving where we'll start with, you know, this is the Osborne Parnes creative problem solving process. And I walk my students through the, the steps. We do workshops, we do activities with it. And in other classes, I use it without even necessarily having the students know that that's what we're doing. For instance, um, I might take a day where I um, where I explain the directions for an assignment and I go over everything that they need to know, answering all of their questions. These are usually like big team based projects. And um, so that's that's the clarify stage. And then I'll tell them at the end of the class, you know, when you go home tonight, when you're riding your bike or washing dishes, I'd like you to see if you can think of like three to five different ideas that you have for a topic that your team might be able to do this project on that's ideate and they come back in on wednesday and we sit in a, i'll have them sit in their groups and i'll say now go around the group everybody say each idea that you come up with you know so kim you say one idea tony you say one idea i'll say an idea we go around the group that's that's the sharing of all these ideas and i'll tell them that you know if there's a couple that kind of jump out at you mark them down you know write a note for yourself but don't jump on it right away you know let's hear all the ideas and then once we've heard them all I want you to kind of talk about those ones that sparkled for you and see how you might be able to use that for your topic that's develop and then by the time they're at the end of the class i've guided them through the steps to implementing a plan of action for how they're going to execute their assignment so it's kind of like they've been facilitated without really knowing that that's what we're doing <laughs> so i think that there's so many ways to apply uh, the creative problem solving process and also just creativity is a mindset you know seeing transforming obstacles into opportunities. So can you please share with us how you use creative problem solving in your everyday life? Yeah, you know, I think that one of the one of the greatest things that this training gives us is the ability to kind of step back in moments where you're suddenly faced with a lot of data or you're suddenly faced with a change or you're faced with a big decision. And it gives you systematic ways to approach how you would analyze this new data or how you would solve this problem or make this, this new decision. Um, during the pandemic, uh, our classes were suddenly switched from in-person to remote. And we had a matter of days to take courses that we had planned on teaching face-to-face -face and suddenly adapting them to a remote learning environment. And at that time, I was also uh, taking courses at the Center for Applied Imagination for the second master's. And I was learning, learning by using some different fantastic tools uh, that I had never encountered before, like interactive whiteboard programs like Mural. And uh, so when this happened, 
uh, I had found out on a Wednesday and I gave myself the commute back to my house, the 50 minute drive to give myself over to complete utter raw panic that this was happening and chew through a pack of gum. And then I kind of felt like my training kicked in of like, okay, what is the information? What is the problem? Let's clarify the problem. And, you know, the ideating phase really, really played into me by looking at all of the projects that I wanted to do with my students and saying, okay, how might we still accomplish these objectives? How might we reframe this project? And how might we know how to highlight the essence? You know, what are the things that absolutely need to be covered? And what are some things that could be streamlined? And I feel like I was able to approach that challenge um, in an entirely different way, in a very measured, systematic way. And ultimately, I feel like my, my courses worked out really well that semester. And I also learned techniques that now I've carried through now that we're back to face-to-face to -face learning. Um, but that's just one small example. I mean, I feel like there's so many times that I'll be, you know, talking to somebody and they're, they're facing an issue and I'll find myself saying, well, what might be all the ways or how might we, or what is the goal you're trying to accomplish? Make sure that we're solving the right problem. And I just think that, you know, once you've gone through this training, you don't really shut it off. You know, it's something that just becomes part of your language and um, even within the, the people around you. Um, I remember one point where I was deciding whether or not I should continue on and get this second master's in uh, creativity and change leadership. I'd been working on the graduate certification and I had a lot on my plate at the time, but I really felt like this is something I wanted to do. And I was chatting with my my mom who, God bless her, has read pretty much every paper I've ever written. She's probably my number one fan. And so she's very familiar with this stuff just from me yakking her ear off about it and reading different assignments and things. And she was sewing in her shop. So we've got the rhythm of the sewing machine going in the background and she's steadily feeding fabric through. And I said, you know, I really wanna go for the second masters, but I don't know if I should. And I was kind of getting myself into that spiral of debating without even lifting her eyes from the fabric. She said, why, what's stopping you? <laughs> Like, what? It was this moment of like, did she just facilitate me? And she's like, no, I'm serious. Why do you want to do it? And, and what's stopping you? And we started talking through these questions. And it made me ultimately realize what some of the obstacles were that I thought I was facing and how I might approach them. And ultimately, I walked away from that conversation confident. And you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the second master's degree. And it was because somebody else who was close in my life had been kind of affected by this training too. You know, it's absorbed by the people around you, I think as well. So I think that it's a, it's a powerful stuff and it's, it is certainly contagious too. Yes, I love that. And I know I, my poor husband is also um, part, of, part of a lot of creativity experiments as we go. It, it's everybody around us. I love that story, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Amanda, you gave uh, several great examples of how you use uh, the tools um, in your life and in teaching. Uh, I'd like you to think back and uh, reflect on how your mindset is different or new today from before you uh, were aware and uh, had been able to uh, uh, go through the course. Yeah, you know, I think that one of the biggest things that I've taken away is how I see a problem. I think that at one time in my life, um, I might've seen a problem as an obstacle. 
And it's very easy then to kind of stop and stare at the obstacle and think, well, I don't know if I can go any further. Um, I mean, I've, I've always been somebody who's been raised in an environment that values hard work and tenacity and determination. Um, but sometimes no matter how determined you are, an obstacle in front of you is an obstacle. And I think that this training has changed the way I see those things as how might this be an opportunity or what might be the different ways around this obstacle instead of going straight through it? How might we go around it or over it or under it or change it entirely? And I think that that mindset um, has been a really powerful thing because it, it enables you to just change the way you see your life path and you see possibilities and opportunities instead of problems and instead of obstacles because you've got these tools to analyze it and to develop a solution. So Amanda, you are known as a leader in virtual learning environments. How has your training and creativity helped and where would you like to see the community focus in the future? Absolutely. Um, you know, as I said, my, my introduction to Mural came as a student in one of the courses in the Center for Applied Imagination. And it kind of opened a door for me. It kind of showed me, you know, what could be possible when you're not in a face-to-face -face environment. And it's always something I've been interested in. I've taken a number of online courses. In fact, I took online courses uh, when I was an undergraduate student. I had taken one, uh, and it was certainly before we had, you know, such tools as virtual whiteboard platforms and things like that. Um, but I think what it showed me is that not only does something like a virtual whiteboard platform replace an actual physical whiteboard, but it enables you to do things that you couldn't do before. And I think that one of the things things that I took away from it is that using something like this has to be structured. You know, I work with um, Dr. David Yates, who is a wonderful educator um, and is just a, a prolifically ideated person in terms of how we can how we can teach effectively online and remotely and at a distance, however you want to define it. And uh, he and I have worked together on coming up with you know, these different rules and different things that you might want to do if you are, you know, leading a workshop or teaching a course online. And uh, since then, I've gone on to collaborate with people in working on book chapters of, you know, best practices in online teaching and online learning. And so it's kind of opened up a door. And as I said before, you know, this is an instance where I could have very easily looked at this as an obstacle of, oh my gosh, I was planning on teaching these classes is face to face. I was planning on doing this activity. I've got these cards printed out that we were going to use in class and now we can't. What are we going to do? Uh, but instead you kind of snap into your training of, okay, how might we still do this? And now the irony is we're back to face to face teaching and I'm still using mural and uh, interactive whiteboard platforms. And what I like about it is number one, you can do things with a program like mural that you just can't do with a physical whiteboard and with markers. And number two, it lets students work together on a platform um, without having to be too close to each other. For those who are still trying to social distance, they can still work together in a group, but not be on the same device. And students who are unable to make it into class uh, for whatever reason can join on the mural from wherever they are, and they can still be part of the group. And I think that it's a valuable thing for students to learn how to work in virtual teams now because they're going into a workforce where virtual teams are not going away. They're going to be something that are going to continue on, um, not just regarding the pandemic, 
Um, but because our world is becoming so global and it just makes more sense for a lot of meetings to take place in a virtual environment and getting students trained for that, I think is, is important. But uh, one of the things that, that uh, we try to do if we structure a mural is to give it a framework, you know, so that students aren't having to take time to actually place notes or build a frame for what they're doing. I try to set things up for them ahead of time. And a lot of my designs are inspired by things that I loved as a kid. And when I was a child, I loved sticker books. I loved those activity books where they had the little outline that you could see where a sticker is supposed to go and you'd pick it up and stick it on it. I loved those. So I design murals the same way. Like I'll have little shaded outlines that will show students like this is where you're supposed to drag. You know, here's a selection of four questions. Choose one and drag it and drop it in the shaded square and then answer your question. Just those little interactive things I think is what makes it engaging and uh, it makes it a fun environment. Awesome, thank you. Tell me more about your PhD research, Amanda. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that was something that also stemmed from the uh, the program and the, the Center for Applied Imagination. The courses that I took during my first master's degree in, uh, in public relations, um, I had taken some courses in the center as electives. And uh, one of those courses was with uh, Dr. John Cabra. And one of the things that he focused on in that course was this concept of emotional intelligence. And I found myself really fascinated by it. And that course was also um, one of my first introductions to quantitative analysis, which also simultaneously blew my mind and also fascinated me. And so when I graduated with my master's in public relations, I kind of reached a crossroads in my own personal life where I recognized that there was a lot that I, I really loved and still do love about the field of public relations, uh, but I was also feeling a strong calling to teaching at that point. And so I had applied for a PhD program at the State University of New York at Buffalo at UB. And I went in to meet with Dr. Tom Feely, who was at the time uh, the chair of the, pro of the department. And in this meeting, I had said to him, you know, I've been reading about Daniel Goldman's research and emotional intelligence. I'm fascinated by it. And he said, I've always been interested in it, too. Do you think it can be measured? Do you think it could be combined with communication? Do you think it could be trained? And he started firing all these questions at me. Uh, I think he's definitely a, a, has a high preference for ideating because all of these ideas were coming out of him at once. And uh, so that kind of started me down this road of combining emotional intelligence with communication studies and looking at how does the information that we communicate and that we receive from other people about our emotions help us to communicate more effectively. So that also came out of the things that we studied in this program. And when you think about the crossover between communication and creativity, you know, communication and creativity are the th things that make us human. If you look back historically, you know, in the early, early days, Neanderthals were bigger and stronger than us. Like they should have been the dominant species, but we little homo sapiens we're different. We communicated and we were creative and we combined that power of communication and creativity to to become something really spectacular. And so I think that that's why these things have really come together for me in my my research and in the way I teach and in the fields that I study. I love how you looked at that. That's awesome. So go. I love the, go. Uh, uh, the walk back to uh, prehistoric times as well. Uh, and it's clear to see that you're uh, passionate about your uh, topic of uh, study of emotion as as much as you are 
um, about your discovery and use of uh, deliberate creativity. So to close, uh, we ask each of our speakers to tell us about your creative flow. Mm. Okay. So I feel like I encounter that creative flow in so many different dimensions of my life. I feel like when I'm when I'm designing a lesson plan, I am in total creative flow. Um, in fact, people who love me, when they know that I'm in the midst of course planning, I will frequently get text messages like, so what did you eat for lunch? And I'll look at the clock and I'll think lunch. Oh, well, it's, it's almost two o'clock. Yeah, I guess I should have lunch. Thank you. Um, because I just, I'll get so in the zone um, in, in the state of flow that just everything else melts away, like even physiological needs for things like food, um, because it's something that I, that I find so much joy in and so much passion in. Um, I feel it when I'm writing or researching. Um, I've done a number of collaborative research projects with Dr. Gerard Puccio and uh, working together with somebody who you enjoy researching and writing with creates that sense of flow where just the the time kind of vanishes and the product that you're working on is becoming such a satisfying thing to see from the point that it starts out with those you know outlines and flipboard charts turning into something that you're that you're kind of envisioning together um that's another moment that i experienced that creative flow of that that you know producing that work you know i feel creative flow down to when I'm in my kitchen cooking something. Cooking is kind of my unwinding thing that I like to do. And I'll try to like give my brain a problem to chew on during those times when I'm just mindlessly chopping something. And I'll find so often that, you know, the problem that I need to solve, suddenly there's the answer right there on the cutting board as I'm working. Um, and I think that's a sense of flow too, just kind of giving your, giving your mind a chance just to rest and to, to kind of ruminate on something. So, I feel like creative flow is evident in so many aspects of of what I do and what I enjoy doing. Um, that you know, it's just it's 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 within me. So I, I feel like the the creativity is something that we all have creativity within us. We're all creative. You know, that's that's the the hallmark, the foundation of our studies in creativity is that it's an innate part of being human. Um, and being able to kind of capture that power and, and capture that energy and recall what it's like to be a creative being, recall what it's like to be a, a curious child saying why about everything around you in the world. Um, that's a wonderful thing. And I think that that's a, that's a phenomenal aspect of, of this kind of training. Well, you've certainly uh, broadened it across uh, all aspects of your life, which is uh, uh, makes for a richer life. I know that that's uh, how my life goes too. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. And thank you for listening. This is Kimberly McKernan. And Anthony Bellani. We invite you to tune in again to the Creative Flow series. We hope you will translate your creative flow into action and you, that your actions will change the world.